Happy Easter, my friends! My name is Dan Forrest, and I want to welcome you to another sermon in our series on the book of Genesis. The theme for my sermon today is Love Will Thaw, and it is based on some wise words from a little unknown Disney film called Frozen. Not sure if you've seen it or not. Well, in the film, there's this uh, snow queen named Elsa, and she is unable to control her powers, and she accidentally strikes her sister Anna with an ice blast right to her heart. Later, the trolls try to help Anna, and Grandpabby explains, only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. Now, in a typical Disney movie, an act of true love is an act of romantic love. So we're expecting her, friends, her fiance Hans to save her with a kiss. But, spoiler alert, we discover Hans doesn't actually love Anna. He's only using her to get onto the throne of Arendelle. So that doesn't work. But then we see Kristoff running to Anna and we think, Ah, Kristoff, he truly loves her. This will be the act of true love that saves her. And then this happens. Let's watch this clip. yourself for me? I love you. An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. Love will thaw. Love. Love will thaw. Did you get goosebumps like me? I love how this movie flips the Disney formula on its head. It's not an act of true romantic love that thaws her frozen heart. It's her own sacrificial act of love for her sister that saves her own heart. Okay, so what does all this have to do with Easter and our passage in Genesis for today? I'm sure you can figure out where we're going with this. Let's just jump right into Genesis chapter 42. Remember in last week's sermon, we learned about how Joseph wisely interpreted God's dream to Pharaoh that a great famine would hit Egypt. And Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of stockpiling grain in the years before the famine would hit, so that they could have plenty of grain to survive. Well, the dream came true, and the famine is so great, it also hits the land of Canaan up north, where the family of God is living. So let's read Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us. 
so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Remember, Jacob had two sons with his wife Rachel, and those were Joseph and Benjamin. And he believes that Joseph is dead, so now his favorite son is his youngest son, Benjamin. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Okay, this fulfills the dream that Joseph had all the way back in Genesis 37, that his brothers would one day bow down to him. It was these dreams that led Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery, where all his experiences there led him to this moment. Bruce Waltke notes that those who sought to kill Joseph's original dreams were unknowingly now fulfilling it. Well, Joseph recognizes his brothers and he treats them harshly, accusing them of being spies. He interrogates them and gets them to admit they have another, another brother back home. And Joseph insists that in order to prove that they are not spies, they need to send one brother back home to get Benjamin and bring him down there. He locks up all the brothers for three days to think about it, and then he rounds them all up again and changes his plan a little. He decides to only keep one of the brothers in prison, but the others all have to return home and bring back Benjamin. Well, throughout these chapters, you're going to see Joseph being a jerk to his brothers, treating them harshly, messing with them, throwing them in prison, treating them unfairly. And I want you to ask yourself, what is Joseph's motivation here? Why is he doing these things to them? Verse 21. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you to not sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them, since he was using an interpreter. At this point, Joseph turns away and begins to cry. Obviously, overhearing this would bring back painful memories for him. And he's probably hearing for the first time that Reuben actually tried to save him while his other brothers sold him into slavery. Well, Simeon is the one who is taken prisoner, and the others are sent home. But Joseph isn't done messing with their heads. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? They're left completely confused, and they're terrified that Joseph is going to think they ripped him off and took back their money. So now they return home, and they have to tell their dad Jacob all that's happened. Jacob is understandably not happy about this. He says, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. 
and now you want to take Benjamin. Well, Reuben, as the firstborn son, he tries to make a deal with Jacob. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Reuben's offer is pretty strange. If I don't bring back Benjamin and Simeon, then you can kill two of your grandkids? What good is that going to do? Obviously, Jacob doesn't take him up on that offer, and he refuses to let his favorite son Benjamin out of his sight. Okay, so then some time passes, and they run out of grain again. So Jacob tries to send his boys back to Egypt, but Judah reminds them that reminds him that they need to bring Benjamin if they are to return. And poor Simeon, he's just been rotting in jail this whole time. Jacob is so annoyed that they gave away information that they had another brother back home. Well, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Well, Judah's plan makes way more sense than Reuben's, and Jacob really has no choice here. They need grain or they will die. So Jacob gets them to really stock up on gifts that they can give to Joseph. And they're planning to return all the silver back to him to really make sure they aren't mistreated this time. And so that Benjamin and Simeon can come home safely. The brothers arrive in Egypt and Joseph sees that they have brought Benjamin with them. So he gets his steward to prepare a great feast for everyone. All of the brothers were then brought to Joseph's house and they're freaking out because they think they're going to be killed for returning home with all that silver. But then Joseph surprises them by saying that their God must have given them treasure because he received their silver. Hmm, funny how that happens. Well, Joseph leaves and Simeon is returned to them. Then they are brought into the house and they prepare all their gifts for Joseph to try and appease him. When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. And then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Once again, the brothers unknowingly fulfilled Joseph's dreams again by bowing down. And Joseph is deeply moved at seeing his brother Benjamin again, who he hasn't seen in so long. He comes back and everyone is seated for this great meal. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was 
five times as much as anyone else's. So this must have been so strange for them. The 11 men are seated all in chronological order. How did the Egyptians know how old they were? And Benjamin is given five times as much as his brothers. They must have been so confused why this Egyptian governor was so generous to Benjamin. And then there's this line that seems like a throwaway line, but I think it's actually crucial to this whole story. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Okay, sure, they feasted and drank freely. They're, they're starving. They're in the middle of a famine. They have this amazing spread of food in front of them. Why is this such an important sentence? Well, it's so important because it tells us, and it tells Joseph, how the brothers treat their youngest brother, Benjamin. Benjamin, in this moment, is given preferential treatment. This five times portion is setting him up on a pedestal. And remember, when Joseph was set up on a pedestal, when he was given the coat of many colors, when he had all the dreams of being bowed down to, his brothers responded with anger and with violence. But when Benjamin is set up on a pedestal, how do they respond? They feasted and drank freely with him. There is no more jealousy. There is no more anger or violence. Instead, they are happy and grateful. If you were Joseph seeing this, how would that make you feel, do you think? Well, let's go on. After all this, Joseph prepares to send them off, and he secretly instructs his steward to fill their grain sacks to overflowing, to return their silver into each sack again, and then to put Joseph's own silver cup into Benjamin's sack. The brothers all make their way back home when they're stopped by Joseph's steward, who he has sent to mess with them even more. He accuses the brothers of being ungrateful and stealing Joseph's personal cup. They adamantly deny stealing anything and, and say, if it's discovered that they do have the cup, whoever took it will die and the rest of them will become slaves to him. Very well, then the steward said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. This is a really interesting situation. The steward lessens the arrangement that they had proposed. Instead of the thief being killed, he says the thief will become his slave. And instead of the others becoming slaves, he says they, they will be set free from blame. And when it's discovered that Benjamin has the cup, they can just walk away. They can abandon their brother, who's the favorite son of their father, and return home. They can do to Benjamin what they did to Joseph. But they don't do that. They load their donkeys and they return to the city to offer themselves as slaves along with Benjamin. This is an incredible transformation for these brothers. Previously, they were angry at Joseph for being the favorite son. But now, they care and love for Benjamin, the new favorite son. They sold Joseph into slavery even though he was innocent. But Benjamin here appears to be guilty 
and they're willing to enter into slavery with him. They tore Joseph's coat of many colors, but now they tear their own clothes in mourning for Benjamin. Whoa. Well, they return to Joseph and bow down before him again, begging to be put into slavery with Benjamin. But Joseph refuses, commanding them to go home. Judah comes forward and he pleads even harder, eventually coming to the point where he says, Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will uh, bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah sacrifices himself for Benjamin. Back at the beginning of all this story, Judah was the one who came up with the plan to sell Joseph into slavery. And now Judah is making amends for what he did to Joseph. He doesn't want the same thing to happen to Benjamin. In his former life, Judah killed Joseph. But in his new life, Judah will do anything to save him. An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Okay, so now let's go back to the question that I asked earlier. What were Joseph's motives for treating his brothers so harshly all along? Why was Joseph messing with them? Well, at first glance, it would appear as though Joseph is really bitter with them. He's getting them back for what they did to him. He's trying to hurt them and mess with them because they hurt him so badly. And he's probably concerned about Benjamin's safety. You know, if they treated Joseph so badly, they must be mistreating Benjamin now. So he comes up with this plan to save Benjamin from their family and have him live safely in Egypt where he can take care of him. And when they finally do bring Benjamin to see him, Joseph just spoils Ben because he loves him so much. But then he must have been so confused by his brother's response. Instead of being jealous, they eat freely with him. That must have pissed Joseph off so much. His brothers sell him into slavery for being the favorite child, but Benjamin is spoiled and they celebrate with him? So Joseph concocts this plan with the silver cup to steal Benjamin away from them. And now they'll have to go back to Jacob and be punished for losing his favorite son. This seems to be Joseph's motivation and plan all along. But then when Judah offers to switch places, an act of true love thaws Joseph's frozen heart and he forgives his brothers for what they did to him. Well, this seems to be what happens here. And that's actually an, an interpretation that I read in one of my commentaries. But thankfully, I think there are better interpretations out there that I've read in other commentaries, one being Bruce Walkie's 
Walkie doesn't see it that way, and neither do I. Let's read what happens next, and then I'll explain. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it's pretty clear from these verses that Joseph doesn't forgive them in this moment. In fact, he must have forgiven them long ago. Joseph realized a while ago that God was using this horrible time in slavery to actually save thousands of lives and even now save the lives of his own family. Joseph had not forgotten his dreams that one day his brothers would bow down to him. And he experienced time and time again the power of the dreams God was giving to different people. He knew that he would see his family one day and that he would save them. So he was prepared for the moment when his brothers would come and bow before him asking for grain. In this story, I think that Joseph is more like Anna than Judah might be. Anna was cursed by her sister. Joseph was cursed by his brothers. Anna could have been bitter for what Elsa did to her and let her die at Hans's sword, but she forgave Elsa and she extended an act of true love to save her. Well, Joseph has forgiven his brothers and he's also extended an act of true love to save them. He gave them an abundance of grain and all their silver back. He could have thrown them in prison he could have tortured them. He could have had them killed for what they did to him. But instead, he offers overwhelming grace and he gives them life. Joseph has forgiven his brothers. So why does he treat them so harshly? Why all the mind games? Well, what Waltke believes and what I believe is that Joseph used this opportunity to test his brothers. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a personal act. It's, it's one-sided. When I forgive someone, I don't even have to tell that person that I've forgiven them. It's a personal action that I've made in my heart and in my mind. I could tell them I've forgiven them, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that I internally have forgiven them. But even though I have forgiven someone, that doesn't mean that we're automatically reconciled or that reconciliation will even happen because as forgiveness is one person acting, reconciliation requires both parties to participate. You can't reconcile with someone who has no remorse, who doesn't think that they did anything wrong, who might even take pleasure in what they did to you. You can forgive them all you want, but there's not going to be any reconciliation because they're just going to keep hurting you. They're going to keep treating you poorly. It's going to come up again and again. If you forgive someone, you shouldn't expect their behavior to change or that they will suddenly take responsibility for what they did to you. 
But that shouldn't stop you from forgiving them. Because as I said, forgiveness is a personal action on your part. It doesn't require an apology or change in behavior from the one who hurt you. And when you forgive other people, it sets your heart free. That's actually what I believe is a frozen heart that is thawed when we forgive others. Our heart becomes unfrozen. But in order for reconciliation to happen, the one who hurt you must show some desire to build trust back up again and do their part to restore the relationship. If trust is broken in any relationship, you can absolutely forgive the other person, but that doesn't mean you have to remain in a relationship with them or at least have the relationship with them that you did before. Because it takes hard work from both parties to build that trust back up again. And I would say that oftentimes full reconciliation doesn't happen even when full forgiveness has taken place. So in the case of Joseph, I believe that he has fully forgiven his brothers. And I believe that he wants reconciliation with them. But he needs to know, are they remorseful about what they had done? Have they changed at all? Or is there any desire in them to change? So he comes up with this test to bring Benjamin back down to Egypt to see how are they going to treat Benjamin? Will they treat Ben the way the same way they treated him? And this is why he gives Benjamin the five times extra portion of food. And he must have been so surprised and delighted with their response. They ate and drank freely with him. They didn't get jealous or angry or upset. They celebrated. And then he tests them with the same situation that the brothers put him in. With the silver cup, they have the choice to either abandon their brother or stand up for him. And clearly we see that they are changed men. These brothers love and care for Benjamin deeply, with Judah going so far as to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. They have passed the test with flying colors. And Joseph is so excited to reconcile with them again. He goes on to say, You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. It's a very emotional story. Lots going on in, in Joseph's heart. Well, he tells them to return home and bring the whole family down here, leaving behind all their belongings, because he's going to hook them up with the finest Egypt has to offer them. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of, clothing, of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel along the way. <laughs> I... Love that line so much. It's just so cheeky. Hey, don't quarrel on the way, you guys. Try not to sell each other into slavery, boys. 
So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Well, there are a lot of acts of true love going back and forth in this story, and we truly see how love will thaw frozen hearts. This is a perfect story to go through on Easter Sunday because, of course, Jesus' act of true love on the cross was the ultimate demonstration of love thawing hearts. In Colossians 1, we read, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul repeats this truth again in a different way in Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. My friends, love will thaw the most frozen hearts. We've seen it happen in the story of Joseph and his brothers, and we experience it firsthand when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus so graciously offers us. Like Joseph, Jesus has forgiven every terrible thing that you've done. And he wants to thaw your heart. He wants to transform you on the inside so that he can be reconciled with you again. Jesus wants relationship with us so badly that he was willing to sacrifice himself on the cross for a relationship with him once again. As we go from here, may you embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers you and accept the incomparable riches of his grace. And if you've already embraced his forgiveness, may the Spirit of Christ help you walk in his footsteps and live a life of love, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. Thank you.